Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted News, a podcast that showcases my writing work in the horror, paranormal, supernatural, and southern gothic genres. This is episode 73 of Haunted News, and it features the latest installment of my first novel, Looking Glass Theory. So, here we go. Looking Glass Theory, Chapter 21. I've got to go back for him sobbed Callista, after Nora and Hazel explained to her what had happened. Sheridan's cat, Isis, shoaled endlessly around his father's inert form, stopping to pat his face from time to time, as if trying to wake him, but to no avail. Zelda, released from her quarantine upstairs during all the goings-on, was snuggled protectively in Callista's lap. She massaged the pig's face and back consolingly. "'It's all my fault. If I hadn't gone in there, if I had been stronger—' Hazel interrupted her. No one's blaming you for anything. As I've told you, when Meg confronted me years before, it was all I could do to prevent myself from being physically forced into the mirror. And I knew what I was up against, whereas you didn't. One of the favorite tricks of a malevolent spirit is to mask itself as something the person loved and likely lost and is longing for, to entice them over to the other side. Sniffling back tears, Callista agreed. You're right. On the first evening I saw her, I was alone in the studio, going over combinations for some lessons the next day. Although I really appreciate everything you've done for me, Nora, in setting up this studio and all, it's been hard. I mean, I've always been pretty emotionally self-sufficient, so long as I had a pet, she dipped a nod to indicate Zelda, and a few close friends, I've always felt fine. However, I never realized how much I would miss the company of other dancers. Even with Sheridan here, I I feel so lonely. When I saw them, I was intrigued at how different and also how alike we were. It's as if we were going through the same steps to different dances across time. That's a very poetic way of putting it, said Nora, reaching out to rub Zelda's ears. The pig snuffled happily. And I know you're appreciative. You've only said it umpteen thousand times. I just wish you'd felt more comfortable reaching out to me. I would have come to see you, you know. Yet the infamous Hewitt woman's stoicism strikes again, said Hazel. I'm beginning to see a pattern here. All three of you grew up with a mother who constantly repressed her feelings, whether unhappy, which seems more normal, since God forbid that anyone in the 21st century allows themselves to admit that they're not happy, grateful, and mindful for a single second, or happy, which makes less sense until you unpack the idea a little. Happiness is a precarious state. It's always in danger of being lost. Therefore, to express happiness is also to express vulnerability, since people who perceive themselves to be successful and powerful resist such displays of vulnerability. They also tend to resist happiness. And if you'll forgive me for saying so, that fear appears to be the fatal flaw of the entire Hewitt family. Both Callista and Nora replied affirmatively. Hazel continued, changing the subject. However, none of this philosophical discussion is going to bring our valiant Sheridan back from the other side. For that, it appears I am finally needed. Hazel went over to one of the storage cabinets and pulled out a yoga mat. Spreading it on the floor, she sat down upon it, cross-legged. Since I'm the one most experienced in astral projection, I will go into the mirror to find him. Nora, I want you to speak to me periodically along the journey. Keep me on task, since everything there will likely be intended to keep me distracted so that I remain. 
Ghosts are the loneliest people in the world, and there is nothing they crave more than human companionship. Callista, you take notes, both mental and physical, if we can find a notebook around here, of landmarks that I pass, so that you can call them out to me, should I become distorted. It's easy to do, especially if I'm waylaid by some type of confrontation. Soul travel can be very interesting, but dangerous, as it leaves the host body open and vulnerable for possession. If either of you noticed at any time that another spiritual entity has exited the glass or is hovering near either Sheridan or me, you must call both of us back immediately. Hopefully, I will have already found him before that time and we can make a safe retreat. Now, I'm going to try to lie down and put myself into a trance. Don't be startled if you see my spirit rise. Nora, you know what it looks like since you've seen Sheridan already. So, Callista can just watch you for cues as to whether everything is progressing as it should. Are we all agreed? They shook their heads. Yes. Callista went to retrieve a pencil and paper, and when she returned, she sat down beside Hazel, who was already lying flat on her back on the mat, with Nora sitting on her other side. After what seemed like an eternity, but which in reality was probably only about 20 or 30 minutes, Hazel's breath became very soft and slow. Finally, a soft white wisp of what looked like smoke began to rise over her face, gathering form, until Hazel's spirit finally sat up and looked at them. Her eyes burned with white fire, and she put a finger to her lips for silence. Straightening up into a standing position, Nora saw the body of sleeping Hazel go completely slack, as if she were dead. From this state, the shadow Hazel slipped soundlessly across the room and into the mirror without any resistance. Once Hazel's spirit was inside the mirror, they could see that the scene was much different than the one they'd seen less than an hour earlier. Clearly, the portal for entry and exit still was Meg's blue post, but by the time the image in the mirror's surface was clear, Hazel was on the outside and in the street. She walked with purpose, her steps definite and quick on the sidewalk. Nora and Callista exchanged glances, both wondering the same thing. How could she know where to go? Fifteen minutes later, Hazel slowed her steps. To their astonishment, they could see someone in a long dress kneeling over a man in a velvet coat. When the person in the dress looked up, Callista yelped, It's Sheridan! He's alive! But it looks as if his friend isn't, unfortunately, said Nora, studying the poor wreck lying mangled on the ground. The man's once long, beautiful hair was in knots, much of it pulled back from his skull, as if someone had been interrupted in the process of scalping him. Blood from an exit wound in his forehead cascaded down his noble face like water over the edge of a fountain. His luxurious velvet coat and frilled shirt were ripped to shreds and his chest bled from dozens of stab wounds. As Nora and Callista watched, Hazel and Sheridan spoke to one another for a moment, then embraced. She helped him to stand and both, clearly shaken, turned and began to walk back the way that Hazel had come originally. Instinctively, Nora called out to her friends, Hazel! Sheridan, it's me! Nora, can you hear me? Can you find your way back? At this, both looked up and around, as if they were searching for where the sound of her voice had come from. Hazel gave a pained half-smile and whispered something into Sheridan's ear. He seemed as if he understood. As they progressed onward, Nora observed that Sheridan's beautiful dress had been ripped, and he was missing his shoes. Also, as she looked more closely, she could tell that he had the beginnings of what seemed to be a black eye. 
Ultimately, they made it back to the bar. After peering cautiously around to ensure they were alone, they stood facing out of the mirror, just as Callista had done a few hours before. Both Hazel and Callista called to them, and then, each moving according to their own intuition, placed a hand on the exterior of the glass. The pain was excruciating, like laying a hand on a hot stove eye, but it was just for a moment. Almost at the instant of contact, they drew back, and with their pull, the spiritual wisps of both Hazel and Sheridan slipped out of the mirror and back into their physical bodies, as easily as a magician pulling a handkerchief through his hand. Awakening, each took a deep gasp of air, like a swimmer surfacing from many feet below. They opened their eyes in unison. Nora and Callista ran forward to embrace them, and Isis leapt into Sheridan's lap. Zelda, sensing all of the excitement, raced around the room, squealing with delight. As he came fully out of his entrancement, Sheridan grimaced like someone awakening after a horrible accident. He reached up and pulled his wig off, throwing it to the floor without true malice, but instead in the manner of someone who was just disgusted by the world. Nora and Callista looked puzzled, but Hazel, knowing the source of his frustration, spoke. Sheridan, what happened to Llewellyn was over 300 years ago. I know the two of you felt a very strong connection. It was apparent, even to us out here. But there isn't anything you could have done. The past is the past, and it's set in stone. No matter what we try to do here, it will run over our best efforts as if they were tiny pieces of gravel underneath an asphalt street. Don't you understand? Sheridan urged. If I had been alive then, then that could have been me. He was beautiful and intelligent and refined and, and gay, so they beat him into the ground for it. They would have stolen from him, too, if he hadn't already given this to me. He knew. He knew then that they were coming for him. Sheridan held up his hand with the back facing them. On his ring finger was the ring with two intertwined serpents, each one holding a side of a great emerald in its mouth. You tried, darling, Hazel said, and I admire you so much for trying. But, as I said, it simply could not be changed. It was fate. What happened? asked Callista sitting down next to Sheridan on the chase. Just before you and I ran into the kitchen during the fight, Llewellyn, Lou, Sheridan grimaced, told me that he would run outside and pull his carriage around to the back entrance and pick up both of us. It was just a small two-seat gig, but he planned to ride the horse himself and put us inside. He was worried that the gang of men who sat down across from us trying to intimidate him before the dancing began would attack us on the street as we left, and he thought we'd have a better chance to get away quickly in the gig. Anyway, as he waited for us outside, the gang came out. One of them tried to grab his horse's bridle and pull him down out of the saddle, so he cut the line on the gig and took off. The others followed on horseback. He'd gotten five or six blocks before they shot him in the back, and he fell. The horse spooked and ran away, leaving him lying on the ground. Then they set upon him. He was already bleeding out by then, and they, dear God, they mutilated him. Sheridan buried his head in his hands as he told the rest of his story to the floor. By the time I got to Lou, it was too late. I heard the sound of the shots. There must have been several that hit him, and so I kicked off those stupid shoes and ran. When I came upon him lying there, they were ransacked.
ransacking his body, ripping out his pockets. One even had his watch in his hand. I snatched the watch away from him and hit him as hard as I could in the stomach. So he socked me in the eye and I fell. I dropped the watch and he grabbed it back and then all of them ran away. My eye hurt so badly I couldn't see to stand up, so I just lay there next to him. Lou tried to talk, but with every word he was just bubbling blood. I could just make out something about the ring, that I should hold on to it. And then he was gone. Callista hugged him, and Sheridan held his breath, visibly trying not to cry. Sheridan, I'm, I'm very sorry. Do you have any idea whom the man you met was? Said Hazel. No, but I wish I did. It was as if, as if he knew me, like we'd met somewhere before. He could tell immediately that I was in drag, and I could tell immediately that he was gay, and, and that he wanted me to know it. There was such an instant connection. It was uncanny. Well, most likely you had known each other, Hazel explained in a previous life. However, because of his sudden death, we may never know. Although, if you were really interested, you could go back in to the earlier time before his murder and try to find something that resonated so that you'd know. What good would that do? said Sheridan, standing up and pacing impatiently. The longer I spoke with him, the more that I would care for him, and then the more painful it would become. The better I knew him, to watch him die, night after night? If you say there's no hope that anything I do will save him in the end, why should I go through all that pain? So that I will fall in love with him again and hurt even more than I do now? No, said Hazel quietly. So that perhaps you could learn to love him from afar and maybe wait to meet him again in the next life. If the two of you are truly soulmates, it will happen. I can't, said Sheridan, running his fingers repeatedly through his bright red hair, making it stand up again as usual. I just can't take the anguish of doing it, knowing what will happen. If it's really true, and he's someone that I'm meant to be with throughout time, then I'd rather wait and be surprised when the right time comes so that we can live our lives without fear. And that's a perfectly reasonable choice, Hazel replied. Please forgive me. I certainly didn't mean to suggest otherwise. Every person handles love and its improbabilities differently. Here she stopped a moment and looked at Nora directly, as if she were just realizing something very important. Nora glanced back at her, too, questioningly, but then the moment passed. Regardless, it's excellent to have you back. You're a very brave man, Sheridan, and again, I'm beyond devastated for what happened to Lou. Although, she pointed at the ring on his hand, it does solve a local mystery that we've had in Wilmington for centuries. What's that? he asked. The mystery of whatever happened to Llewellyn Markwick's ring. If any of you know the story, Nora, you should, if my former student performed her job as a tour guide successfully, Mr. Markwick was a strikingly handsome Welch merchant in the early days of Wilmington who had a penchant for fancy clothes. Many assumed he was gay, although it's never been proven. Anyway, his most prized possession was a ring that was a family heirloom, a large emerald 
surrounded by two intertwined serpents. When he was attacked and murdered, many wondered what had happened to this fabulous gem that was never found. Now we know. Hazel caught Sheridan's eye as he studied her. On the night of his murder, Mr. Markwick had felt threatened while entertaining an equally dashing young Irishman at a bar, so he slipped the ring to his new friend for safekeeping. Unfortunately, Mr. Markwick was killed just a couple of hours later. The ring was never found because... Hazel gestured to Sheridan. Because he gave it to me. But how is that possible? Sheridan asked, looking down at the ring on his finger in amazement. You said time and fate couldn't be changed by going back through the mirrors. That's true. It cannot be changed, only re-experienced. You and Mr. Markwick met because you were meant to meet. There was a past life connection between the two of you that plays variations on a continuous loop woven among the centuries, as there also is between Gallows Meg and Callista and perhaps even myself. Callista's connection is obvious. She once was one of her dancing girls. My connection? I've never figured it out yet. Although since Meg did not succeed in keeping me within her world, it could be because she had mistaken me for someone else that I looked like that she knew. That happens sometimes in families when there is a strong resemblance. So, I get it, interceded Nora. If a person who is trapped in a mirror has a strong connection, whether in this life or a previous one, to someone outside, then they will try to reach out and communicate. However, if they don't, then their connection was never really that strong. It was only a minor impression. They were not, as you might say, soulmates. I see, said Nora, internally processing what this meant in relation to the fact that Jasper had recognized and acknowledged his father's voice, but not the presence of either her or his mother during the interaction that she'd had with his spirit in the mirror. Yes, I can see, too. Your wheels are turning, said Hazel. I am just as puzzled as you are as to what the connection might be between you and Mr. Hostler. Who? asked Callista. No one, said Nora sharply, giving Hazel a look. Now that you and Sheridan are both safe and... She paused to check the time on her phone. It's almost dawn. I think I should go lie down for a few hours. Then I need to call Cliff and see how he and Pierce are doing. Aren't you forgetting something? asked Sheridan. Nora looked at him questioningly. Um, what are we going to do about the whole portal to another world of murder situation still hanging on the wall over there? Well, there's only one thing we can do about it, replied Hazel. Sheridan, if you're sure that you don't want to go back and try to interact with Mr. Markwick again, and no one else has any desire to go back either, then we should probably destroy it. Otherwise, Meg or who knows who all else will continue to have the opportunity to draw in anyone with a strong connection to what's on the other side of the mirror. Since there were four of them to begin with, and Nora's mother-in-law has already broken one, then that only leaves this one, and the ones in Durham and Wilmington remaining, before Meg and her whole universe are most likely sealed away forever. Sheridan didn't hesitate. Callista, do you have any reason to ever want to go back inside the world of that mirror? 
absolutely not, she exclaimed. Wonderful, thank you, Sheridan replied. Before anyone else could think to move, he picked up a large antique brick that they sometimes used to prop open the door to let in the afternoon breeze. Everyone stand back and turn around, he ordered. Whirling like a discus thrower, Sheridan launched the brick as hard as he could into the mirror from about 20 feet away, continuing into his protective crouch on the floor as the glass spun and shattered around him. So long, Lou, Sheridan whispered, brushing his hands on his skirt. Guess I'll see you in the next life. This is the end of chapter 21. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Looking Glass Theory here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.